Welcome to the Tokyo Citadel Builders podcast. This show is hosted by three Christian Bitcoin maximalists in Tokyo. We agree on very little except that Bitcoin is money and a tool we can use to help us build a better future. We discuss current topics in Japan and Bitcoin and how our lives are impacted by the growing Bitcoinization of the world. We interview builders on Bitcoin to learn about how Bitcoin can help us push back against government encroachment, enable us to retain financial sovereignty, and empower us to secure ourselves against corporate and government surveillance. Sat by sat, we are building a Bitcoin economy in Tokyo and connecting ourselves to citadels throughout the world. This show is hosted by We Three Gentlemen, Doomer Dash, Meta Mike, and me, Andy. We are a value for value podcast, so if you've enjoyed the show, hit us up with a thousand sat boost on Fountain or show us some love on our tokyocitadel.com website. Connect with us on Twitter and Noster at Tokyo Citadel. And we are live. Um, so today I have Alex McShane on, um, who is the director of programming at Bitcoin Magazine. He's also a general partner at Lightning Ventures. And um, what I'm most excited to talk to him about today, he's the organizer of the upcoming Nostra Unconference in Hong Kong and Tokyo, uh, Nostra Asia. Um, uh, McShane, welcome to the show today. Thanks, man. Happy to be here. Yes, really, really excited to have you on. I'm, I'm so excited to, to get into the, uh, the Nostra stuff with you and especially the uh, Nostra Asia stuff, uh, since that is going to be in our, our home turf here in Tokyo. So it's going to be a really exciting conversation. Um, but before we get into all that, I thought maybe we could just start by you, um, as much as you're comfortable to share, uh, giving the listeners a little bit about your background, if you don't mind. Um, sure. We, do you want like high level or uh, kind of Bitcoin, Noster background? What are you looking for here? Sure, I think high level. I think we'll we'll dig into the Noster Bitcoin stuff. So um, just as much as you're comfortable to share, maybe maybe a Bitcoin journey and, um, you know, how you got into Bitcoin and, 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 and then we can we can dig into the details from there. Yeah, sounds good. So um, <clears throat> I came across Bitcoin a few times uh, kind of very early on. Didn't act on it, but have some pretty uh, lucid conversations about it that I remember where I kind of didn't understand it, you know, did really did not grasp uh, the concept of mining. But um, those early touch points are important, right? Because it's, I, I, in my experience, it's rare that people kind of grasp it right away and kind of go for it, you know? Um, I didn't. So I had a couple touch points early on, uh, went back about my life. Um, <clears throat> I wound up uh, at an, an MMA academy, actually uh, Jackson Wink MMA down in New Mexico. It's like a high altitude training program for professional MMA fighters, um, training with, you know, John Jones, Holly Holm, uh, Karate Hottie, a bunch of um, fighters on the road come through and do camps there. And um, that was kind of my full-time job, um, just training mixed martial arts, you know, jiu-jitsu, wrestling, a lot of Muay Thai, um, boxing. And it's really hard to make money as a fighter, like, you know, the, probably less than the top 1% of fighters in the world make substantial income. And most of, I lived with over a hundred um, fighters in dorms and kind of apartments there. Um, you know, many of them in and out, but those of us that stayed kind of long-term um, didn't really have jobs. I worked at a grocery store for part of that time. And then I, kind of found it too difficult with my training to keep up, um, you know, as a, 
you know, training professionally, uh, professional athletics is like full time. I mean, it's like three practices a day, two practices a day, you know, a lot of, a lot of running, a lot of lifting weights. And of course, a lot of specific like technical practices. So you're really tired and it's hard to do. It's hard to make money if you're not, um, very digitally oriented, uh, which I wasn't. So I started looking at other ways of making money. Um, my then fiance, uh, was working in a startup online and I thought that was pretty cool. So I started to become <laughs> more and more online. I mean, she's doing really well for herself and, uh, I don't know. I started looking around for jobs. I got introduced to Bitcoin again by my brother, my little brother. He had been like trading at one point. Um, so we had a sort of little trading contest and he kind of beat me and he was using Bitcoin to do that. And this was during a, a running, a run up. Um, so everybody got excited about Bitcoin, you know, these 2017 crazy run up, like every cycle, right? The price goes nuts, you know, 12 to 18 months after the halving, everybody gets really excited, euphoric. Um, I was like all in, you know, I did a little bit of um, kind of altcoins too and stuff like that. Got turned off by that pretty quickly because I was weirdly lucky in that I became interested in self-custody like immediately. Like, I think I got a hardware wallet two months after first buying Bitcoin um, and started learning about self-custody and, you know, some privacy uh, best practices. And when I tried to kind of convert that experience to altcoins I was holding years and years ago, I didn't uh, find it very good. You know, though, like, I think there was like an Ethereum gas fee that cost me more than <laughs> the Ethereum that I had <laughs> just to move it. So I was really turned off by that whole scene and thought, um, you know, it's better to just stick with uh, Bitcoin, as so many people were saying um, online. So I kind of listened to the then leaders of the, the cultural leaders, took their advice, you know, found some friends in the space um, and then really started looking for a job in the space. So I just cold emailed absolutely everybody, um, DMing people on Twitter, you know, all the all the companies that were around at the time looking for a job, looking at job boards. Um, and I actually got a reply from Safety and Amus. You know, I, he, he was looking for someone to help him source um, the reference material in his books. So I ended up uh, volunteering to do that for free. Um, I had gotten a degree in writing and had worked in a library for years um, before kind of leaving college and so I was like sort of qualified to do that I kind of started helping him with reference material then it moved into editing and kind of line editing and just whatever he needed for his books so I did that for the bitcoin standard and then the fiat standard and most recently the principles of economics um that was obviously a really good reference to have and um one of the lessons like I learned then that I'll I kind of never forget was, you know, I offered to work for Safedine for free because I just wanted to be in Bitcoin somehow and learn more about it. And he said, you know, no, that's not how we do things here. In order to get the best value from you, I'm going to give you value in return. And he paid me. So that was my first job in Bitcoin. Um, from there it was, uh, like I said, a great reference point. So I got a job at Bitcoin Magazine, like aggregating news. And then I kind of built their kind of multimedia program and built up their Twitter and worked on various teams, just kind of growing projects throughout um, 
the bull run, um, started getting into the event side of things and programming bits of our events, European events, you know, the Bitcoin conference, bringing in speakers, like coordinating with whoever needed to be kind of talked to and brought into the Bitcoin world and trying to bring also high level celebrities, get them interested in Bitcoin. So that could expand the reach of the network um, kind of through their influence. And I mean, that's about where we are now, man. I, I, I kept working in the space. I got into venture. I was going to raise my own fund. Um, I talked to maybe a hundred people who were fund managers. I just kind of made a list and went down the line because I decided this is something I want to do. And I just asked them about the process and what they would ideally see out of a, out of a Bitcoin only fund. And rather than raise my own, one of those people I talked to um, offered me a kind of position to learn from and join him. So his name was Mike Jarmuz of Lightning Ventures. Um, we became really good friends. I've been working with him ever since. Um, I'll be a, I'm a general partner on our um, newest fund, uh, the Node 2 fund. So we're very excited about that. Uh, we've also got a syndicate with many, many um, clubs and credit investors. Um, so it's very exciting. There's like lots of ways you can enter the Bitcoin space, um, I guess would be my biggest takeaway. And although you might not think you're uh, qualified to join it or participate, I think if anyone, uh, if you can read and write and communicate um, somewhat reasonably, you'll, you'll find a place there. I mean, I've had a lot of jobs in this industry doing a lot of different things, um, you know, the side work, ghostwriting for a number of people, um, odd jobs. And it's just, there's, there's like no end to the opportunities and there's so many things that still need to be built. So it could be you, I guess is what I would say. You could be the one out there building them. So kind of a long winded answer to your question, but yeah, that's basically the, the story of how I got into Bitcoin. That's perfect, Machine. Thanks for t taking us through that. Actually, you covered off uh, five or six things that I was going to ask you there. That was absolutely on point. Um, thanks. So I, I, t I tried to take a few notes. Um, and so let me just um, hit, hit on a few things you, you brought up there. First one's fascinating. So I, I saw that you were doing um, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I think that was on Nostra. Maybe you posted about that. But I, I didn't realize you'd been a, um, a professional fighter. M MMA. So that's that. First things. That's fascinating. So, did you actually fight in the in an octagon as part of that? So I wasn't a I wasn't a professional fighter. I wanted to learn to fight better, and I wanted to have fights and like learn about fighting. So I went and trained professionally with, with the professionals, but I wouldn't. It wouldn't be accurate to say I was a professional fighter. I was like a high level amateur. Um, and yeah, I've taken fights. I've taken. I don't know. Probably. 20 to 30 taekwondo matches you know lots of wrestling matches growing up i've had kickboxing muay thai matches um and most recently probably what you saw is i've, I've been doing jujitsu exclusively now for a year just to get better at grappling and uh i had a jujitsu tournament not too long ago and i went uh nine out of ten on that tournament so I'm kind of, yeah, really, really deep in the martial arts community. Really love uh, MMA. And would you say there um, was a... Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. No, I was just going to comment. Like, um, yeah, professional fighting. It's like there... It's uh, it's wild, man. It's not, it's not for everybody. I think um, even though you may have the skill set to do it, if you're in...
interested in like almost anything else besides fighting, it's a really hard career to pull off. <laughs> like I kind of looked around me and I see the people who are the professional fighters there and the people and the best, you know, John, like uh, the, the, the best fighters in the world. And it's like, they have nothing else that they would rather do or be interested in. And for me, um, all the respect in the world to those guys, you know, I'll, I'll always do martial arts, but it just seemed like, I could do something else with my mind and I was a little bit scared of, of, of really damaging it. And I was a little bit distracted by Bitcoin. It was kind of when it, when I took off on Bitcoin, it really started eating a lot of time into my training. So, so that's how I learned that that, that route wasn't for me. And, and I'm really happy about that, you know? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and I think, yeah, to your point about Bitcoin sort of taking over your mind, I can definitely relate to that. It's, it's just, you know, pretty much every waking hour for myself, I, I you know, I spend um, thinking about Bitcoin these days, it seems. Um, one of the things you also mentioned I thought was interesting and I felt um, I, I'd, I'd also experienced was the self-custody of Bitcoin being something that you were fascinated with very early on and that and that that really differenti differentiated it from the altcoins and i found exactly the same thing i mean as far as i know for example you know you can get like a bitcoin only um hardware signer like a cold card or the several right you get a foundation passport or um and there are several companies doing that but I, as far as i know you can't get like an ethereum only hardware wallet or you know so i i, I think that says a lot about Bitcoin and Bitcoiners and, and how self-custody is really, you know, really, really heart, the heart and soul of this whole movement. Because for me, the whole point of Bitcoin is that it's uh, seizure and censure resistant. Um, and that, for example, that you could take your wealth across borders by just remembering 12 words or, or, you know, carrying a USB stick with you. And that's incredibly powerful. And if, you know, if you're not going to self-custody the Bitcoin, really, there's no point in having it. You may as well just buy the S&P 500. Um, so it was interesting that you also had that, that experience. Um, yeah, it, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And the, the, the hardware conversation is something I think we could get into endlessly. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. We need more competition in the hardware space for sure. I mean, we can't just let NVK take it all. <laughs> Foundation's great too. But uh, yeah, I'm a really, uh, I'm a real cold card. Um, maximalist coin kite guy but i started out with a with a ledger actually and then i became increasingly frustrated by them pushing kind of these shitcoin updates and eventually i had a conversation with the cto of ledger and he expressed their intention to implement uh quote as many chains as possible and i just kind of thought you know that can't be secure <laughs> like you need a bitcoin only device so if you don't have a Bitcoin only device for your Bitcoin, you know, get on it. Hundred percent. I, I also love Cold Card and um, Coin Count and Cold Card. I think they're a great company. I think MVK is a really good actor in the space. Love listening to his Bitcoin Review podcast whenever that comes out. Um, with that, with that said, I have I did put out a post on Stacker News yesterday because some some of the fud around the re reproducible bills was concerning me. So I went ahead and just tried that myself, and I found that actually that there is some there is some um something to that right some some of the older bills i couldn't reproduce and so whatever i mean i i don't think it's anything malicious it's just um um you know no, no company's perfect and and hopefully CoinKite can respond to that and maybe improve improve the process for the reproducible bills but there's like you say i mean we need more competition and i feel like foundation uh passport is maybe that because they've been making a big push um to the kind of bitcoin i would say what 
big quote unquote Bitcoin maxi community, right? They they hired um, Bitcoin Q and A, and I think Seth for privacy, and they've started a podcast. And um, for me, it's like I, I like what was never really interested in in them and their device. It looks it doesn't you know. It, you know, I, I much prefer cold card and that kind of culture, but at the same time, I, I appreciate there's maybe greater, I don't know, transparency or maybe humility over it foundation. So it's definitely something I'm I'm looking at. But more, but more um, competition in the space is, is good for Bitcoiners. So, um, also, you, you you touched upon something I did want to bring up with you, which is um, getting a job in Bitcoin. And uh, and you, and I was going to ask you, like, how have you got any advice? And you gave us some great advice. Um, the stuff like, you know, just sending out cold emails, you know, um, offering to work for, for safe for free, um, uh, stuff like that, like just showing that enthusiasm. And, um, I, you know, I, I, that was great advice. So thanks for sharing that. Um, I, what, what is it like working at Bitcoin Magazine? Because I, I, I'm just uh, obviously I'm just a player, but I'm participating in the conference or every like it's uh, it's a highlight of my year, you know, I, but I'm just watching it online. I don't, I've never actually been. Um, uh, it's it's always such a well put together event, especially at the source stage. Such high signal content available there. Um, what's it like uh, working working behind the scenes? It must be must be incredibly hectic. Um, I find it not too hectic. I mean, I think it's my part of the org feels pretty organized, mellow, you know, very happy, uh, very happy people, like happy campers, man. Uh, I think we're all just um, in awe of the fact that we get to wake up and do this every day. Um, it's, you know, it's something that you, you, it's hard to believe that it could last forever. And that's something, you know, we all know in the bear market better than, than anyone. Right. Um, we've seen a lot of, you know, unfortunate, um, layoffs in this space across many companies you know i've had many good friends that are having a harder time so i just try to stay appreciative and kind of optimistic about um you know what we're doing here and you know ensure that what i'm doing each day is actually contributing and a net positive to uh the space um you know that being said like any job it can be a little stressful sometimes but um the the rewards far out outweigh um you know any any sort of negatives that pop up from that it's it's super fun getting to know bitcoiners across the space and working with bitcoin uh bitcoin companies to help them bring their kind of visions for the future to life and their you know their articles their printed materials their products and services you know their speeches there's just so many memorable things that have happened it's just it's it's an incredible space to work in i mean it's uh, I've, I've had a lot of different jobs outside of Bitcoin. I think I had my first job when I was 14 um, doing like farm work, you know, then working in restaurants, landscaping, that kind of thing. And it's just, there's no comparison really to how much you can achieve in the digital realm. So, I mean, it's not just about working in Bitcoin. It's really working online. We can optimize and, and maximize your potential, um, you know, not just through automation, but just through faster communication while still enjoying the benefits of, you know, being at home every day, spending time with your family. You know, um, it's it just makes for a, a more balanced life, I find. 100%. Yeah. Um, you also mentioned, obviously, you're, you're working in the, uh, in the funds with the um, Lightning Ventures, etc. I 
always thought with the, the Bitcoin only funds, it's like it's interesting. I'm very interested, like 10, 1031 and funds like that. Um, mm-hmm. But my question is always, why not just hold the, the asset? You know, I feel like if you're going to be investing in Bitcoin companies, it to me, it has to be somewhat altruistic or, you know, you're you uh, as a bitcoiner you recognize that we we need tools and we need circular economy if bitcoin's going to succeed and so that's why you're raising capital and, and investing in in these companies are absolutely critical don't get me wrong to the success of bitcoin but i just feel maybe if you're if you're self if you're entirely selfish you tend to think well my capital is probably better just held in the in the bitcoin asset itself and i'll let everyone else do the hard work um do you and and i and i put that question to one of the 1031 representatives actually came out to Japan a few months ago and he disagreed and he said, you know, there was potential to outperform or, or that was their thesis that you could outperform um, that, the, the, you know, the Bitcoin price appreciation through uh, venture investing into Bitcoin companies. But do you where do you stand on that? Um, I think I feel your tension. I think I would express it a little bit differently. I mean, for me, it's. Um, we're we're not a charity, right? So uh, we, we, as much as we try to kind of help and, you know, donate to devs and support as many companies as we can, sometimes not financially, like we spend a lot of time just pairing these people need miners, you know, these people need a source of energy, these people need infrastructure to plug it all together. Like we, we, um, that is the kind of like altruism that like most Bitcoiners kind of stand up for to help just like, promote the ecosystem but with a venture fund i mean we're here to make money and um if we weren't outperforming bitcoin we wouldn't really be doing a very good job would we so there is kind of this uh i guess i don't know what you want to call it like arrogance or something but like you you have to uh you have to outperform bitcoin or what are you doing as a fund that's the goal um i know there's a lot of um you know, humbler kind of plebs that would take issue with that. You know, there's just kind of the the Odell style, stay humble, stack sets uh, mentality. I'm all for that as well. Um, but if there's a way for me to invest in companies that can, you know, potentially 10 or 100x and help me buy more Bitcoin, I'm certainly happy to do that. Um, I think it just comes down to like, like it ends up being a personal choice. Like what is your risk tolerance? And also, you know, 100% Bitcoin is not, um, that's not really a viable portfolio for most people. I mean, they'll tell you it is, they'll tell you you should want it. But, um, I, you know, I don't really care how much people, you know, want to tweet out against um, fiat and against like the current system and, you know, promote kind of like anarchist ideologies. At the end of the day, I use fiat every day. <laughs> I quite like it on some level. I mean, it works really well for me. I'd hazard to guess it works um, pretty well for, you know, Odell and other people who work with funds too. Um, That being said, I would rather, you know, we could all move to a Bitcoin standard, but um, it's not really happening overnight. So like we have to contend with kind of these parallel systems for a while, I I would, I would guess. So I just think I think it's important to just just consider your own risk tolerance and think, you know, am I making enough money that I could maybe take a little more risk 
and maybe in do some like options on Bitcoin mining companies, you know, something like that. Like there are, there are other ways to maybe get better performance um, than just Bitcoin itself. Cause Bitcoin itself um, it's got like a somewhat predictable cyclical model. I mean, I won't pretend to, to know the future, but we all know a halving's coming. Like that's, that's a fact that's mathematics. And we know people in the past have been, um, economically planning around that having for what is it 12 years 13 years 14 years soon um, so I am you know placing my bets with the understanding that that's happened in the past you know I also economically plan around the having and some people may DCA you know every day and that's kind of a, a hedge against price volatility but um when a top comes and everyone's euphoric and you feel it, you think it's never going down again. Um, I mean, I'm selling. <laughs> I sold the last top and you, you, you can outperform Bitcoin. That's a fact. And sometimes you get wrecked and, you know, sometimes you, you end up with a bigger Bitcoin stack for it. Um, it all comes down to the individual. Um, this is not investment <laughs> advice, by the way, but uh, that's, that's something to consider before making um, an investment in venture. It's like, Charity, yes, that, that is one reason to do it, to just altruistically kind of contribute to the space. But there's there's much easier ways to do that than to invest in venture, right? Like you could just go donate to some devs. Like you could find, uh, you could donate to Brink or organizations that, 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 that can allocate to important people working on important projects in the space. Um, you can donate your time to help these companies. Um if you want to um, try to outperform venture, I think it's like an interesting skill set that that will benefit you in both the sort of Bitcoin and fiat realms, right? Because I think we have a task here that a lot of Bitcoiners aren't really seeing in our near future, uh, which is that we've spent a lot of time kind of scoffing at Silicon Valley and kind of rejecting their advances and you know as a result they've uh, put all their money into crypto and we've kind of wound up with a lot of the legacy financial system and wall street kind of promoting them on our side like let's get the spot etf out you know etc cetera, etc cetera. um but the fact is we need more and more of silicon valley's capital to come into bitcoin to fund these companies now I, I wouldn't kind of spray and pray here there are definitely some terrible investments you can make and there's a lot of mistakes to be made and it's a super risky road and you're definitely going to see a lot of these brands that we've come to know and love go to zero but there is a asymmetric opportunity uh kind of for outsized returns there if you uh play our cards right so, yeah, I guess I'll tell a bit of a ramble, but um, it's a bit of a gamble. So I, I just think it, it just comes down to each person again and their, and their risk tolerance. That's a great answer. You um, said few, many things I agree with, a couple of things I want to push back on. But um, I think, mm -hmm. I've, you know, being all, all in on in, or it's not maybe it's not wise to be all in on Bitcoin, that idea. I think that was um, that's a great point. I, I completely agree with that. I think even as a Bitcoin, even if you're a complete Bitcoin maxi and you're like, well, I think Bitcoin is going to outperform everything else on the planet. It still doesn't make sense to be all in on Bitcoin, because as you say, the volatility means that you might be in a position where you're kind of a forced seller. 
Um, and so to, to, to make sure you're not a forced seller, um, you want to keep some cash flow. You want to have some fiat. You want to have some diversification in your investments so that you can protect protect mm-hmm. your cash. At least that's the way I think about it. Um, yeah, yeah. I would. I mean, just to like full disclosure, I am ninety percent plus in Bitcoin at all times. I mean, I have cold storage, like geographically distributed multi sig, and I don't touch that Bitcoin. Right? Like, I, I I just don't. I don't sell it. I've just been hodling, accumulate. Um, buy regularly and just hold it forever. I don't think it, it has a fiat price. Um, but for day-to-day operations, you know, and servicing any sort of debts you might have, you'll find it useful to have a little bit of fiat. And especially when the price crashes. I mean, right now we're in a, we're in a nice little uh, kind of relief rally here to the, the 30K level. Um, but when it was down there in the teens, I think like last December, it was really nice to have a little cash on hand, you know? I absolutely agree with you. Um, I, I was also 90% uh, in Bitcoin. Unfortunately, I lost it all in a tragic boating accident. So I'm trying to um, <laughs> trying to build it up again now. Um, so and the, the things I, I thought of pushing back were one, the, well, your idea of selling at the top, which, uh, you know, I, I am just terrified with, with the thing with Bitcoin is it's like I feel like there's an information asymmetry, if you want to call it that way. I think we as Bitcoiners understand how fragile and how much of a house of cards the traditional fiat system is. And then, you know, like I've you know I read books like The Mandibles, right? Not sure if you've you know read that Odell's recommendation. And then, um, you know, uh, why, why Money Dies, I believe it was it's called about Weimar Republic hyperinflation. And I've spoken to people who uh, grew up in Venezuela and, and told me about the inflationary events there. And I'm like, hmm, seeing a lot of parallels, right? And I feel like I'm just terrified. If I sell some of my corn, you know, if I had any, if I sold it for um, uh, pieces of paper, right? Just pieces of paper that uh, Joe Biden can just print whenever he feels like it. A little bit more complicated than that, mate, perhaps. But um, then I'm, I'm just risking getting left behind one day when, when, when this hyperinflation event really takes off and then people, people, people understand, people more broadly in the population understand the value of bitcoin and then they're not going to be selling so yeah i don't know maybe that's just me being paranoid but i just feel like i i don't, I don't want to put myself in a position where i risk getting you know not being able to get back into bitcoin so can i can um, i say something yeah. i uh sure, sure. i felt uh precisely the way you described i think uh my first few years in bitcoin especially because um you know, it was during a time like over the course of that first cycle that I was in the uh, the price does run away from you and you do start to get worried. And there is kind of this huge amount of FOMO that kicks in. That's like, I really don't want to get left behind. And you start really diligently saving and putting everything you have into it. But over the course of time, I mean, your kind of kegger on that will put you in a position where you can breathe a little bit and kind of think like, OK, I have a I have a solid Bitcoin allocation. Like I have more Bitcoin than most people will ever have in their lives. Like, just think about that. Like, most people will never own anything like a single Bitcoin. Um, And that's just an arbitrary number, even a half a Bitcoin, right? That's like an incredible, what most Americans don't have access to, $1,000. I know I never did um, until I started saving in Bitcoin. So, I don't know. There's just kind of like, I feel like there's a little bit of a hump there where it's like Bitcoin will actually, on a low enough time preference, give you some breathing room where you can start to... Think about, I'm not saying diversifying your portfolio a ton, but you can say, okay, maybe I make a couple other plays or maybe I try to sell here. And maybe, maybe, I mean, a lot of people listening to this are probably just laughing like, no, you'll get humbled, you'll get wrecked. Yes, that happens. But if you can't tell, I have like a pretty high 
uh, appetite for, for, for risk and adrenaline here. So I'm not always, uh, sometimes you got to degen sell the top, you know? Yeah. And compared to MMA fighting, it's probably, you know, probably a lot, a lot <laughs> less risk to your health. Um, the, the, just one, one last point on, uh, on, on, you know, before we get into the Nostra stuff, but, um, that I wanted to push back on a little bit was the, mm-hmm. I, I feel like the, um, and Lynn Alden talks about this a little bit in her in her newsletters, but she talks about how the building in the Bitcoin space, although it isn't very well funded, tends to be very high signal. And perhaps that's a function of funding being a little bit more difficult to get. And so there's a lot more due diligence done. Um, and also the people who are attracted to building in Bitcoin tend to be more mission driven and focused and listen I'm, i don't want to be I'm, i don't want to be one of these guys who thinks that devs should work for free devs should definitely you know and devs in bitcoin are underpaid and, and that is a problem but i feel like one advantage potentially is that it, it keeps the shit coin it keeps the scammers away right so all the scammers and you, you mentioned the silicon valley money going into you know rubbish like ftx and was the whole you know whatever crypto.com or whatever the hell or i don't, I don't follow crypto so i don't really know but it, it, it seems like there's so much noise over there because of course because there's so much money so all, all the sharks all the scammers they're swimming over there and they're leaving us bitcoiners to kind of you know build brick by brick and, and build this thing in the right way and so i just feel like maybe that's an advantage although you know at the same time i recognize that devs not getting paid is a problem um yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. I think I was just going to say, I might, I might just frame that a little bit differently from, from Lynn, but on the whole, I agree. I think I would just say there aren't that many, I think it's just a function of how like being realistic about how many projects there are. Like when you have an opportunity to scam for such little, um, kind of proof of work put forward on crypto networks, um, you know, and, and, and they do get, you know, the lion's share of the funding. That's just where you see a lot of the resources being sucked out. There's some really crazy things happening with, uh, I'm not promoting them, I'm just saying it's a fact. There are, you know, inscriptions happening on Bitcoin now. We've got ordinals here and it sort of opened this weird wormhole where uh, um, crypto people by the thousands are learning how to use the Bitcoin network and coming over and they're, they're building things on Bitcoin for better or worse, you know, and um we're going to see, I think, in the next few years, only more and more of these kind of projects come over. And, uh, you know, God forbid we change Bitcoin in any way or compromise the security of it to host them. But I think on some level, there's a silver lining as it may bring more funding. The difficult thing is there's a lot of these funds out there, and I won't name any, but they they, they raise too much money. And what happens is they're aren't that many viable projects um, in a given year, especially in a bear market. It's very hard for them to allocate hundreds of millions into the Bitcoin space, you know, with, uh, with a great return. So what happens is they end up investing in somewhat shaky projects. And before you know it, you're not a Bitcoin only fund, you're a crypto fund, or you're a very um, hazardously allocated Bitcoin only fund. So it's just, I think slow and steady. And um, I think it's just important to realize that although we've been around, you know, 13 years, um, we got a long way to go and venture lives in kind of 10 year cycles. And it's going to take a really long time for us to learn what is a Bitcoin company? Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? Are there viable Bitcoin companies that aren't either exchanges or miners? I don't know. 
not that have gone public so far, but let's see, right? So, yeah, I guess I would just uh, close with that. These things take time. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Listen, I think uh, we could probably talk about Bitcoin for ten hours. Um, but one one mm -hmm. thing I, I wanted to do for the, for the you know for the for the remaining questions is really just focus in on Nostra um, and and obviously Nostra Asia. Um, and so I, just just to give you a little of, of my thoughts or, thoughts or background here, like I I used to be fa a fairly enthusiastic Twitter user, I, I guess. And back in the early days, I remember re recommending it to people because they. You know, um, I would say, listen, it's great because you can curate your own space and, um, you know, you can follow some really interesting people. And it's kind of like every time you're browsing through your timeline, you, you're educating yourself. It's a really high signal, you know, experience. And then over the years, what happened is, is, is everybody's listening very familiar with i'm sure but the algorithmic manipulation started to um happen and, and encroach more and more to the point where twitter for me became unusable and this is even before i found nostra um i just couldn't use it anymore because i'd be logging in and there's people i'm not following who are you know and there's these like high engagement political tweets or whatever that are pushed into my timeline and next thing i know i'm spending four hours arguing on the internet and then when i you know when i um when i wake up from that i realize oh i'm being manipulated and 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 i kind of i i came to see it as being like uh, i don't know if you're familiar with the story of uh, i believe it was ulysses when he's going through the sirens um mm -hmm. it's the, mm -hmm. the greek myth and he wants yeah, to listen to the siren yeah, tied to the mast tied to the mast he, he needs to tie himself to the mast because otherwise he knows he's gonna um be dashed on the rocks he knows he can't control himself and um for me, it was the similar thing where I realized I'm not going to be able to control myself with the social media. And not only that, but it, I, I sort of looked out uh, to the future with it, things like AI um, and, and, and just, just you know, privacy infringements in general and realized this is only going to get worse. Like the siren song is only going to get louder and louder and more alluring. And, and as, also as I get older, I'm going to sort of lose a bit of cognitive uh, ability to fight back. And I don't want to get sort of caught up in this spider web of, of algorithmic manipulation. So my, my answer was just, uh, cold turkey it was uh, i'm not going to go on social media anymore and i was uh, i was i was happy for you know uh, a while doing that and then nostra came along and it was like wow this is like now i understand nostra as a protocol and so you know when i'm talking here i'm talking about this kind of twitter-like uh, manifestation of it with with clients like amethyst and and, and damas but it was like mm. for me it was like wow this is like oh the early days of twitter this is why i first got into twitter and not only that this is FOSS. this is an open network this is like bitcoin this is like linux this is like um the other free and open source uh projects which i'm passionate about and also because it's FOSS, you know this isn't going to get corrupted like uh twitter did and if it does we, we'd have the right to to you know build our own tools on top of build out our own uh you know uh, ecosystem on top of nostra so that for me was just i, I got i got it i mean i very rarely jump on like tech te uh, technology trends early um, i'm kind of a very i'm by nature conservative kind of wary guy but with nostra i was i was all in from from pretty much day one um but i i, I just wondered um about you, your journey your nostra journey we're gonna, we're gonna go on now but was it was it was it a similar thing or, or did you have different a different way of coming at this that's a good question. Um, I guess I would start by saying, like, um, I, like you, found that Twitter changed for me over time. I think everyone has in the, the era of the Elon and, you know, many years before that, it's gone through a lot of changes, right? Generally, um, I like the social media platform. You know, I met my wife on Twitter. I had a great time on Twitter. Um, 
um, you know, posting. I've got, uh, you know, a little, little bit of good following. It's, it's really a lot of fun in the, in the, in the bull market. It, it became really toxic and exhausting, though. And I don't know if that's a function of me and my, the way I engage with it, or if it's the kind of communities and the people I follow or the algorithm and what the I'm being fed. I think, as you pointed to, I think it's a combination of all of those. Uh, and I didn't find it really healthy either. So like you, I mean, I haven't deleted it or anything, but I haven't, I haven't been on it in, in days. And I don't, I don't log in anymore on any of my devices and I'm not logged into like the, uh, the Instagram. I just, I just use Noster and um, you know, it's a small community. It's a focused community, um, but it's a much more pleasant, optimistic community too. And it is full of, it's nice to be kind of shoulder to shoulder with such strong um, developers and designers and entrepreneurs. Um, it's, a, it's a really ambitious community. So uh, I've enjoyed it. Um, I think I found it in uh, November or December. There were a large influx of users then. I mean, it was almost unusable. I was, I was sitting in uh, this very room trying to figure out how to use it. Uh, must have been, can't be more than eight months ago, uh, whenever it was. And it it was crazy, man. It took a lot of time. It wasn't as hard as like self-custodying Bitcoin or anything, but you just had to have a lot of patience to deal with how difficult it was to do anything, to post an image, to create your own uh, little account. I mean, creating a private public key pair, no problem, but now you got to maintain it. And how do I log into this thing without compromising my NSEC? And it's just, it's just a whole different ball game. And I think I had a lot of fun, exactly like uh, you said, um, being relatively early to something, um, of course, is exciting because everyone who's there for the most part knows that we're part of something special and we're also enjoying... Um, like just kind of the golden age and it won't always be like this. Like I think more people hopefully are coming to uh, the protocol and they're going to build different ways to engage with it that we never imagined. And they're going to spoil kind of our bubble of, of euphoria. But I think um, the cost of that is, you know, it's, it's great. Like it'll, it'll be a great thing because it will be, in some ways, in some implementations, uncensorable. And it will allow people to create their own communities and protocols. And if they don't like something about it, uh, like you already covered, they can just go build it. That's the beauty of free and open source software. So that's what keeps me very, very enthusiastic and happy there um, and wanting to work on it and contribute in whatever way I can. Because I really want this thing to succeed, man. I think we need it to succeed. Um, I don't like the direction of the mainstream media and I would throw these big platforms and the state and mainstream media all in the same category as, um, you know, compromised, centralized. They're, they're utterly taken over and they'll, you know, like, just like you said, they'll, they'll, they'll manipulate you in ways you won't even, you won't even understand. And we've had generations of people just kind of born into that. And they're just, they're just like slavishly addicted to these algorithms that are feeding them horrible ways to live and not giving them good viable options for life. So um, I'm just happy we have it. No. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm very happy we have it. Um, 
you know, the, yeah, there's the whole, as you say, in, within certain contexts or certain, um, you, you know, you'll have that degree of sense of resistance. You have that control creation of your own environment, which is powerful. And then you add on top of that uh, the zaps, right? And that, that for me is when this thing really, um, I mean, it's such a killer use case, right? Because I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm on, uh, it, like if I'm on Noster or, or Stacker News and, 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 and there's a good, um, someone posts some in interesting content, I'll zap them, I'll give them a few sats. Now, now I find myself when I'm on like Reddit or something, um, I'm like, oh, I want to zap that, but I can't, right? And it's like, you know, I, I, you think about that, you think about, my God, like this thing is going to be integrated into every single experience on the internet in 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 the future it just has to be um and and like you say we're at the very beginning of that um at the same time we've had the news obviously it was last week i think where damas has been threatened with being removed from the app store because of the zap integration and so it seems like there's some fight back from the as you say the kind of centralized the this what uh, i mean snowden talks about it in his book but this collusion between big tech and government and, and, and media and government etc this kind of you know the uh, the vampire squid that's uh, that's trying to manipulate controllers it seems one of the tentacles has sort of been aimed at, at, at nostra now and what you know and, and how cynical that was versus just apple just generally you know um whatever um ch changing their code of conduct and, and these things being applied and and, and it just it just happened to hit damas like that I, I don't know but for me it feels like this must be a threat to the to the legacy media to the government i mean they just don't want people communicating freely they don't want people transacting freely and and sending each other sats freely um um so i i, I guess to, to get to a question like what what impact did the, the, the damas uh, news have on you in, in terms of your concerns about you know how how this Nostra may be censored going forward, um, and, and just in general, like, do you, do you think that the Zap thing is is so powerful that it's, it's going to end up enveloping and taking over the entire internet? Or what what are your thoughts um, on, on those subjects, if you don't mind? Yeah, um, I, I like Zaps. I use them. Um, try to send as many as I can without uh, you know losing all my Bitcoin here. Um, I was pretty sad uh, to hear that Apple took that action. I, I kind of lean more toward it was just sort of a protocol kind of stray. Like we just tripped uh, the wrong keywords a few too many times. Um, and also these kinds of things are inevitable. I don't know if I would call them full-fledged attacks. You know, attacks can look very different. You know, that would mean pulling the uh, the that the damas with a lot less notice um we've got a path forward here there are several solutions to engineer around um so i think it's like important to distinguish zaps are noster they're a nice feature of it um and we can still use them on many other implementations so I, i'm not really concerned I, I was bummed out for will um but i think ultimately We'll look back and I hope that he can look back and see um, that and be proud of the solution he's engineered and be proud of his, you know, Mac OS implementation and maybe someday, you know, an Android implementation and, and, and just these uh, workarounds. It's, it's kind of like the early days of Bitcoin. It's like all these attacks are ultimately good for it. Um, because they make it stronger by virtue one. Uh, yeah. They're lending legitimacy, legitimacy to the pro to the protocol just by paying attention to it 
and engaging with it in some ways, having it on their stores, removing it from their stores. But eventually they'll be attacking it um, probably in more significant ways. So, you know, the fact that we can withstand this and, you know, kind of rally as a community and say, okay, we need a different solution. Um, that's important, right? Like that bodes well for the future of Noster. Um, because again, I guess in conclusion, I don't think it's that significant of an attack. And I think um, there, there are probably bigger problems ahead and we just need to be prepared to embrace them and iterate and improve the protocol and all of its respective clients um, to outmaneuver all these people. Cause we have the jump. We know how this stuff works, you know, um, we're, we're always going to be one step ahead of them, I think. Yeah, that's, that's a very ins inspiring answer. Uh, thank you for that. I mean, I, for me, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, a FOSS maxi and I feel like, and I know Bitcoin's different for everybody, but for me, it's a, it's a movement of, you know, it's a, it's a FOSS movement. Um, and I feel like if you're going to, sort of and, and i feel nost is the same right and it's like like you were saying you were talking about the early days how difficult it was to to use nosta well that, i mean that's just typical of any kind of fos project in my experience i mean linux was was very difficult to use in the early days obviously bitcoin was very difficult to use um and and, and nosta is kind of the same but the w w the reason that people stick with it or it inspires people is because you know it comes with that freedom that freedom to to use how you want that freedom to build on top of it and that's just such a powerful thing. And as you say, it, it gives us the jump because, um, you know, it means that the people who are really involved and enthusiastic uh, are, are, are builders, um, uh, dev, devs, etc. And so, yeah, that, that gives me confidence as well that we can iterate and we can stay we can stay one step ahead. And I mean, they tried to kill, you know, maybe not the government, but um, large big big tech microsoft etc tried to kill linux and, and and couldn't um obviously bitcoin's still going 14 years later so um yeah hopefully as you say nostril just go from strength to strength continue to iterate and get and 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 get stronger and stronger um so i i i guess um but i guess just to conclude that i would say you know as, as a FOSS movement i feel like we we're probably as bitcoiners i know apple's make beautiful computers and you know um i you know i'm an apple user myself in uh, you know my, my work computer for example but I, I i made a decision a couple of years back just to completely get apple out of my life in terms of my private machines and i mean i'm now on i'm on linux or i'm using um dgoogled android for my phone you know i got rid of the damn cattle tag uh, apple watch uh etc etc um so f so for me like yeah, I mean, I, I feel like as Bitcoiners, maybe we need to consider that um, that, that that we need that we need to look, you know, not just for Bitcoin, not just for Nostra, but for all all of our experiences with computing and the internet. We need to be looking at free and open source tools, in you know, in order to pr preserve our sovereignty. Um, do, do, do you do you agree with that, or am I, you know, am I just um, a, de a deranged false maxi? Hmm. No, you're not. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, although I, I recognize that I think the, the trade-offs, uh, privacy, uh, um, paired with convenience, I think the majority of people are always going to choose convenience. Um, unfortunately, that's just the way the markets have played out. Uh, that being said, I think there's tremendous value in us continuing to educate people and promote privacy and free and open source software. Um, to continue kind of building 
uh, in that vein. But I also recognize it's it's likely that that's going to be a pretty niche community for the foreseeable future. I mean, Bitcoin and Nostra are probably the best chances we have at, at changing the tide a little bit, maybe in a different direction. But we're going to have to develop a lot better user experience before that happens, I think. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Thank you. Um, so um, I wanted to, I guess, finish up with a few questions on uh, when it comes to Nostra. So in particular, what, one thing that frustrates me a little bit is we don't get more Bitcoiners coming over to Nostra. Um, so there's still a, a, a sizable Bitcoin Twitter community, for example. And I feel like, you know, people should be and I guess, it, you know, it, it sort of touches on my on my former point, but this isn't just a movement about Bitcoin. It's a movement about free and open source tools. And does it does it frustrate you as well that more Bitcoiners aren't moving to to Nostra? Do, do you, is, is, is the reason being, do you think that there's somewhat of a moat there with Twitter with in terms of the followers that people already have and the engagement they get as of today? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think they're addicted. They're addicted to the likes. Addicted to the Elon, you know, the the potentiality that he might, uh, you know, respond to them or something. Um, I I don't know. I think it's important to remember, like, how big Bitcoin's uh, become. Like, even after the crash, um, here in the in the trenches of the bear market, it's still so big that you know a lot of your Bitcoin holders are just regular people, man. They're not interested in this stuff. We've got to win them over. You know, we have to make a compelling case for them. The fact that they're not here yet means, you know, we need to iterate and improve our onboarding process and make a compelling case for them to spend more time. Um, if not looking into it and learning about it, then just trying and trying it and jumping kind of off the deep end and, you know, setting up a, a key pair and off to the races, you know, um, so, yeah, I guess uh, largely it frustrates me a bit, but um, with the broader context, I understand. I think that the most frustrating part for me is there's a lot of, um, like, quote unquote, leaders in the Bitcoin space, at least like on Twitter. Um, kind of be here. I mean, if they're in it for an outside, I think they'd spend a significant portion of their time trying to promote Nostra as well, because it's a you know, free uh, permissionless communication is invaluable to me. Uh, maybe they don't share the same opinion, but I think that Bitcoin and, and Nostra are kind of our only two viable technologies that can do that for someone. I mean, there are, there are a multitude of other apps, but not, not at this scale and not with the, the community that these two things have around them or, or nearly the same levels of adoption. I mean, I'm, I'm also interested, I guess, to see what things like uh, Blue Sky or, you know, I've, I've heard rumblings of, you know, Facebook's uh, meta coming out with one, you know, <laughs> never trust something meta put out to be decentralized. I think just by virtue of them being such a large entity, they can't do it without building the majority of it kind of behind closed doors. And then the whole thing ends up being centralized anyway. Um, Right. Like you can see that with with Blue Sky a little bit, like there's some there's some centralizing servers and, and problems there. So when it comes down to it, I think the uh, um, like the best case scenario is we build more technologies out in the open and the free market, because these are kind of the only free markets for communication, 
decides and wins over a majority of uh, kind of people and users and, and just grows and grows because we are the best, not with any sort of trick. Like there's no need. The incentives are already there. Um, you know, we just keep building and they'll just, you know, keep hearing about us and then finally, hopefully make the jump and try it. Very well said. Um, so I, I'd like to f finish off the last maybe five, 10 minutes, um, focusing in particular on the upcoming Nostra Asia um, mm -hmm. event is going to be happening, I believe, in Tokyo and Hong Kong. I think it's simultaneously and November 1st to, to 3rd. Is that is that correct? Yes. Yeah, correct. Okay. Excellent. And, um, you know, as, as you know, this is a, a Tokyo based uh, show. So um, several of our listen listeners will also be, um, you know, in, 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 in Japan. But um, um, so I, you, I, I guess I'll be focusing mainly on Tokyo. But if you want to talk about Hong Kong as well, please feel free to. Um, but yeah, so um, maybe first you could just just let everyone know, like, how, how to sign up if they're interested to go. Um and because you know maybe that isn't very well known now and and um is is it a web page that they can go to 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 look at the you know the to, to look at the event and then sign up or is it or do they have to be on nostra well you have to be on nostra to register so you have to have you have to have a public key because that's how we're going to dm you ticket and um it might sound like a high bar and surely it's going to repel and keep a few people from coming but i think that's okay i think that's like this is like the minimum effort for a free event <laughs> that's going to be awesome. Like the biggest snowster conference in the world. It's, it's completely free. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll feed everybody. All you have to do is get yourself there. We're going to program it with amazing conference uh, content, excuse me. And we're going to have a, a great hackathon, excellent networking opportunities. Some of the clients people know and use today and love are, were born out of the last event we threw in Costa Rica. So it's like a, if you're a power user, it's like a can't miss event. Um, and it's completely free. So yeah, the, the, the barrier to entry is just, you know, create a Noster account, go to Noster.world, N-O-S-T-R dot W-O-R-L-D. Uh, and you'll see there's, there's like one button on the website and it's just register. It'll take you to, um, uh, an intake form that's pretty simple. We're not asking anything revealing about you. The only information we absolutely need is like a name or a pseudonym in your NPUB. And that's just so that we can issue you a ticket um, in your direct messages uh, later on, closer toward the event. Um, there's there's some additional questions on there as well. Like we'd like to know if you're coming to Tokyo or if you're coming to Hong Kong or if you'd like to join us online. Um, if you're bringing anyone, we ask, you know, register their NPOMs on that form as well. Um, there's a couple other questions about language preferences and kind of food preferences just so we can provide a good experience, but it's, it's really simple. Um, just fill out the registration form. You're already on NOSER. Uh, you can also just go to my, um, my profile, you know, scroll down. I post about it every day. You'll see the intake form there somewhere. Um, and we're ticking, we just had over 450 registrations. So we're filling up, you know, the, the <laughs> tickets are scarce, I should say. They're free, but they are, they are scarce. 
Thank you. And and you say it's um it's a free event. So I believe this is being sponsored by by Jack Dorsey, right? Correct. Excellent. And and he also did that in um uh, the I'm sorry, it was uh, Costa Rica. So Nostrica. Yeah, event? exactly. Yeah, Nos okay. yeah, Nostrica. Yeah, yeah. How did that go, Costa Rica? I've never been, but it, it looks like a, a beautiful country. Oh, it's amazing. It's great. Um, it's peaceful. Uh, there's something, I don't know how to put it. I don't know if there's something magical about it. It's a beautiful place. Um, especially if you like the outdoors, if you like the sea, if you like surfing, it's a great place to be. Um, the conference was, I don't know. It was, I've been to a lot of conferences around the world, a lot of Bitcoin conferences. And this one was just special. I don't know how to put it. It was small. It was intimate. And you got a chance to talk to everybody, you know, just 300 people in the jungle, in the heat, <laughs> kind of sweating, eating amazing food, um, watching amazing talks and devs and friends of theirs. And maybe people impromptu jumped on stage together and gave a, a presentation about something they're excited about, about Noster. You know, we had a few really memorable panels and you can watch it all back on our on our YouTube channel. But there's nothing like being there, man. We're on a basically a, a hippie commune with a lot of people who are living there just in the, in the forest, uh, in the, in the jungle, there is a little river or a big Creek that ran through the back of it. And people would just kind of wander off during the conference and go take a dip, take a swim together. You know, there, um, there are markets um, in all the towns around where we were that took Bitcoin. There was a 70 year old woman I bought fruit from paid in Bitcoin. I didn't, I mean, and I don't speak fluent Spanish or anything. She understood and just Bitcoin, Bitcoin. She holds up her phone. It's got the Bitcoin jungle app. You know, I sent her some sats via wallet of Satoshi. It's, it's crazy. Um, absolutely crazy that those markets are accepting Bitcoin. So shout out to Lee and all the work that Bitcoin jungle is doing. But that was part of what made it such a, a really, you know, fun experience were those markets for sure. But, um, yeah, I, I hope we can do it again. Um, Costa Rica was was really fun, but, you know, the rest of the world needs Nostra too. So we're coming to Asia. We're coming to Hong Kong and Tokyo. Totally different vibe, but it's going to be, I think, equally special in its own way. I'm sure it will be. And I, I believe you've already got the venue uh, for Tokyo. It's going to be in Shibuya, right? And uh, I believe also some some speakers lined up. I think you announced yesterday on Nostra that you had a um, the, the first Japanese speaker also signed up. Yeah, yeah, we're excited. Um, we've got some more, more pretty fun announcements coming, but we've we've been trickling out a few speakers. I think there are people who everyone knew already was going to be there and and speaking, but it's it's fun to announce everybody nonetheless. And we haven't even begun the official announcements. That's just me, uh, kind of eagerly ninja launching speakers before the team has agreed. <laughs> so the the official announcements are coming. Um, you know, check them out on the on the Noster handle. Um, yeah, we're we're kind of working on vibe for the event right now. You know, that goes to kind of the design of it, uh, the furniture, the graphic design, the stages, how they look and feel, where they're placed, how many of them, how many people do we let in, you know, what kind of food do we serve? What's the after party going to be like? Uh, or excuse me, the welcoming party, which is something we're doing different and at uh, Nostrasia over in Nostrica. We're going to have a big welcome party the first night because... I think that the experience is akin to Bitcoin conferences and that all these 
people just want to see each other and talk to each other because a lot of us that use uh, this tech are like maybe somewhat introverted or if not a little weird, then a little um, seeing the world a little bit differently than the people around us immediately in real life. So it's nice to get together every once in a while. And all you want to do is kind of talk to people that have this very niche interest of free and open source software that you might not get to see in real life too often. So it's a great way to meet uh, new people that are interested in really cool, um, super important tech, you know? Yeah, it's going to be amazing. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, do, what, what was the reason for choosing Tokyo, choosing Japan as a venue? Was there any particular, you know, think, thinking that went behind that? Yeah, so it it came up a lot just um, as a suggestion. And there was, at the time, we chose it basically at Nostrica. There, there were a lot of Japanese users on Nostr. And we had connections there. And, and these things are kind of impossible to put on without someone on the ground, right? Like, I'm not from Tokyo. I've never been to Tokyo. Um, these venues would not do business with me. I have to do business through a Japanese person that knows the business flow and understands the customs and knows kind of what we can do and what we can't do and what we should do and how we should behave. So there's just, uh, I don't know, I guess the stars aligned in terms of people who stood up and were willing to help. We just volunteered to put this thing together, right? So you need people who are kind of self-starters and those people happen to be coming from Japan. But more importantly, we want to make a big statement to kind of China and North Korea and these more um, extremely censored countries where Nostra's basically kind of killed off and, and, and banned. Um, you know, we can't safely have the conference at those places. So the next best thing is to go right beside them or in the case of Hong Kong, uh, inside them you know right right to the heart um i think doing the event simultaneously in two places makes a statement and i really like that about the hong kong meetup which which would be the same same dates um much smaller about um maybe one to two hundred people as opposed to tokyo's i think we've got capacity for 1200 people um but, you know, for a second uh, second conference, it's not not too bad. I, I really think we're going to make the statement we're hoping to make and we're going to come out of it with a better understanding as a group about what Noster is and what it could be and what we can build on it together, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And for, for the, you mentioned the hackathon, which sounds really exciting. Um, one of the things, I guess, you know, for someone like myself, who's kind of am an amateur, you know, technical guy, I'm not a professional developer. Um, it's a little bit mm -hmm. intimidating here at Hackathon. You think, oh, you know, there's going to be, you know, um, it's just going to be galaxy brained devs who are kind of going at a thousand miles an hour. I'm never going to be able to keep up. But is, is there any, you know, for the Hackathon, is that something that uh, someone who was maybe not a professional developer could participate in or uh, how does that work? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think it would take a little more <laughs> effort uh, than than someone who's really skilled developing. I'm I'm not a developer either, but I'd like to participate in any way I can. Um, I think there are design skills needed. I mean, that's a component that goes hand in hand with whatever projects end up being put together and whatever people want to pursue. There's 
I think input from all angles is important. Um, and even developers, you know, um, for example, Will often works in the open, right? He pushes all of his updates very transparently and asks people for feedback on them. You know, many good developers do. And uh, he outsources his tool set, not just kind of to himself, but to the, the whole world and the whole community. And it's really all of us that, that kind of help test this stuff, find these bugs, um, bring up kind of red flags, design challenges that we've seen, uh, places where maybe something could be a little bit more smooth or a little bit more intuitive or efficient. Um, so I, you know, I can't answer your question specifically as like where, you know, what team should I join? Found <laughs> if I'm inexperienced, um, we're not that far along in planning it yet, but I, but I really do want it to be an open experience. Um, just like Nostrasia as a whole is where anybody can find room to pull up a chair and contribute, you know, hop on stage and, and, and say their piece. Um, because I think, uh, you can learn something from everybody. And the whole point of the free and open source kind of uh, atmosphere is to aggregate those points and come to, you know, kind of a best solution. So, yeah, I would, I would welcome, welcome non-devs to join. Perfect. Um, and I and just 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 to maybe finish us off with the with the event. Any any alpha that you can share with the the Tokyo Citadel podcast here? Any uh, uh, ninja announcements or, or things you can hint at that we could be uh, excited about when it comes to Nostrasia? Any alpha? Any alpha I can share with the event? Um, I would say we might, we may or may not have a speaker or um, exciting attendee whose name rhymes with Mac Jollers. <laughs> um, otherwise, what other alpha do we have? I don't think there's anything I can I can share it at, at the moment. Um, but as we get more registrations in the door and as we get closer to the event itself you know just stay tuned we've got some exciting stuff planned that uh, sounds great already uh you're not going to want to miss it make sure you head over to nostra.world and register today if you have not already um mcshane thank you so much for your time today we've covered a lot of ground here and i, I feel it was a really productive chat um I, I just wanted to give you um the opportunity just at the end here to maybe share your final thoughts with the with the plebs listening um also if there's any way you want to point people to go to uh, to, to follow you on on uh, nostra or, or twitter etc please um please share it now uh yeah for sure um Find me on Noster and, you know, shoot me a DM if I can help you get oriented and, you know, come out to this event. If you need help registering, um, Noster.world is a great resource. I'm happy to be a resource for you. If you want to get involved, if you want to speak, um, if you want to join the hackathon, all those things are found in the registration form. But, of course, if you can't get the answer you're looking for, uh, reach out as well. And uh, I look forward to seeing everybody there. I think it's going to be super fun and you're not going to forget it in your life if you come. Um, and we're going to come out of it with an even stronger community and protocol, really. Um, so 
appreciate you having me on, man. This has been a really fun conversation. Yeah, no, I appreciate you coming on and uh, look forward to catching up in November at the event. Absolutely. Can't wait. Thank you. And we thank you for listening to us today. You can find us on Twitter and Noster at Tokyo Citadel. You can find us on our main site, tokyocitadel.com. And please check out our guests that, that you heard today. Support us on the Fountain app with a thousand sat boost or head on over to the site and hit us up with some love over there. Building sovereignty, privacy, and hope into the Tokyo Citadel. See you next time.